Hey, this is the Last Coffee House. Have you ever wanted to read a book about the life of a 18th century guy named Tom? Have I got the book for you? This is Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. The full title is The History of Tom Jones, a Foundling. It's a Buildings Roman. It's a Bildungs Roman, which means it focuses on the psychological and moral growth of a person from youth to adulthood. It's published in 1749, so it's graded on the curve, of course. This book is about English high society stuff. If you're totally into that jazz, if that's the stuff that you just get a kick out of, it has everything you'd expect. It's one of the earliest English novels. I did not care for most of the book. Some of it was very funny. I laughed occasionally, but most of the time I just felt like I was slogging through and I didn't want to have to read the whole damn thing. So, there are going to be some spoilers. I'm... <laughs> Even though it's like 700 pages long, I'm going to give you some broad strokes on what goes on in this thing. And recall, when this was written in 1749, I'm sure this was at least a few years prior to Netflix. It might have been actually a few years prior to Blockbuster. So you didn't have a whole lot else to do, so it was great to have a long book that would take up your time for a while. But Tom is a bastard in a basket. Bastard in a basket. It's a trope, of course, that has been around since Moses, at least. Even though Tom is a bastard, his wealthy patriarch likes him. He's part of it. He was left on a in a bed, right? He was just left in a bed and found and the patriarch of the home. Of course, I use that term as a descriptive term for antiquity, not as some kind of a vague criticism of society. <laughs> Much of the story revolves around who Tom is banging. Girls throw themselves at him. Not to say that it's a, an overwhelming or a deluge of girls. I'm just saying that it's it's kind of the motif in a lot of these books when you have the young, handsome male protagonist and you've got the generic beauties who are just throwing themselves at him. And that's pretty much what the girls are. And of course, <laughs> given my general tenor of this review, I'm guessing that you might say that I didn't pay very close attention to the intricacies of the various characters, and that might be fair, so anybody can correct me on any of that stuff. It does, however, deal with things like prostitution and sexual promiscuity, which was novel for the time. Again, this was late or mid-18th century, so dealing with those kinds of topics, you could see how it would be a kind of lascivious thing to pick up and read and get excited about. There are machinations about getting the inheritance of the patriarch from other characters who try to undermine Tom Jones. One character lies about him and gets Tom banished, and then Tom finds out that he's actually of noble birth after having a Back to the Future moment where he thinks he might have banged his mom. So... And this allows him, having learned that he was of noble birth, and he can be with the, what's her name, Sophie or something like that. He can be with Sophie now because she's noble and there was a bunch of resistance to it because he was just a bastard in a basket. But now they get to be together. Okay, wonderful. So I've got some quotes. We could do some quotes so you get some idea of what the book's like, what the writing's like, what kinds of things it talks about. Quote, an author ought to consider himself not as a gentleman who gives a private or illy Elio Misenary. <laughs> Why didn't I look this word up ahead of time? Elio Elimosenary, Elimosenary, something like that. Treat. <laughs> Let's see what that means. So, um, I didn't expect to run into a word. I didn't know what it meant. Okay, relating to or dependent on charity, charitable. Elim 
Elimasonary. Elimasonary. Okay, got it. Wonderful. Late 16th century word. So it was it was new, it was in vogue at the time. Wait, it was a century old at the time. Sorry, it all just compacts when you think about things back in that day. But rather as one who keeps a public ordinary, at which all persons are welcome for their money. So um, obviously you're not going to get any of that quote because I just mixed it up by not being able to pronounce or knowing the meaning of that word. But that was the opening sentence. <laughs> Quote, to see a woman you love in distress, to be unable to relieve her, and at the same time to reflect that you have brought her into this situation is perhaps a curse of which no imagination can represent the horrors to those who have not felt it. End quote. Great, wonderful, okay. Quote, to say the truth, I have often concluded that the honest part of mankind would be much too hard for the knavish if they could bring themselves to incur the guilt or thought it worth their while to take the trouble. End quote. Some reviewers were talking about how this was meant to be psychologically astute, so it was deeply in the psychology of various characters. I think it mostly just follows the archetypes of various characters, but... And it does this odd thing of capitalizing the first letter in a number of words that wouldn't otherwise be capitalized or usually be capitalized. So, I mean, it's a thing to do. Quote, but while the captain was one day busy in deep contemplations of this kind, one of the most unlucky as well as unseasonable accidents happened to him. The utmost malice of fortune could, indeed, have contrived nothing so cruel, so mal apropos, so absolutely destructive to all his schemes. In short, not to keep the reader in long suspense, just at the very instant when his heart was exulting in meditations on the happiness which would accrue to him by Mr. Allworthy's death, he himself died of an apoplexy. End quote. So a little comedic turn, little comedic turn in that one. What's my analysis? That's pretty much the book. Okay, what's my analysis? The narrator plays a large part in the book. The narrator kind of is its own character. So there's a bit of artistry in that where you have that mediator who has a personality. Some, Like I said, sometimes it was funny. I was mostly just bored. It was just so much. There's so much. And I just don't care about these kinds of intrigues of court unless people are being super witty like in Pride and Prejudice. Otherwise, it's just, okay, who's marrying who? Uh, who gets the inheritance? I just, I don't care. There were a lot of well-established tropes. And it could have been, and this is one of the difficulties when it comes to reading literature from the expanse of time. <laughs> It's that you don't know which books established the tropes that were then followed by all the other books thereafter and which books are just restating the tropes and not doing much with them. So in this one, you've got the Moses thing. You've got the generically good-natured protagonist. You've got the inexplicably vaunted over or fond over protagonist by the girls, the pretty girls in the story. You've got the wealthy benefactor who likes the person. you got property and wills and class and all that stuff. And and that it turns out that he's actually of noble birth. I would love, and I'm sure Jordan Peterson actually talks about this a lot, is how these archetypes work in the Old and New Testament, or the Hebrew Bible in the New Testament, and like the lowly born that turns out to be of noble birth, having a relationship to God, or being the son of God, and all that, all those archetypes and how they work. But anyway, it's it's long. What's the big picture? It's a tentpole in the history of literature. It really laid the foundation for other people to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy read, it's straightforward, and to channel some Jerry Springer in the final analysis, what is it, the last word or something? Who says in the final analysis? I think that's from JFK or something, or somebody talking about JFK. In the final analysis, <laughs> works of art can be incendiary, can push the envelope, can inspire new ideas and philosophies, or they can be devoured and digested with a trail of pleasant feelings, and that latter part is really what I see this book as. 
But this is The Last Coffee House. We were talking about books, the best 100 books, works of literature of all time. And we're going to keep it going. I feel like I just talked to you and the last one was one of the most important things ever. So it was... (laughs) It was a big deal, and then this is kind of just sliding in in the background. But we're going to keep it going. We've got lots of books coming up, lots of stuff. Trying to get the complete knowledge of humanity all downloaded onto one brain. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Okay, bye. (laughs) 